Okay. Thank you. Our reading for today is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks, Karen. Just um, before we have a look at, at 1 Peter together, um, let me just introduce myself. If you're uh, here for the first time this week, you might know who I am. My name is Dave MacDonald. Uh, I'm in my uh, third Saturday as pastor of Salt Church. So if, if you're along here for the first time or you, you haven't been that much, neither have I. Okay? And uh, we can get to know each other and that'll be a good thing. Um, I, I'd just like to tell you a little bit about myself. I won't do this every week, I promise. Uh, but it, it may, what I'm going to share with you, it, it may actually uh, give you something that will be helpful to you and your relationships with other people. Uh, and, and that is, um, seven years ago, a little bit over seven years ago, completely out of the blue, really, I discovered that I had cancer. Um, I got admitted to hospital, and within a few days was told that I'd probably only lived 10 to 13 months. Now, this is in December 2011. The reason being that I'd uh, been diagnosed with stage four uh, lung cancer. And that's a, a pretty sad and serious diagnosis. Uh, the chances of me living five years at that time were about 1%. Uh, and here I am, uh, seven years later. Uh, it's uh, four years I had chemotherapy, uh, and then three years I've been free from treatment. And uh, God has actually opened up an incredible opportunity uh, through this cancer diagnosis for me to be able to share the good news of Jesus with other people, uh, particularly those who are going through uh, uh, the trial of having cancer uh, or members of their family, neighbours, friends, workmates and so on. 
but we've found that, that God has opened up a, a really uh, new and significant door to reach out with the good news. Uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks, I, I got an invitation uh, to speak at an event, a, a dinner, at the Wingham RSL. Uh, so there's a church down in Wingham that are putting on an event on the 7th of uh, March, I think it is. They're going to have dinner. And then after dinner, I'll be sharing uh, a hope for all eternity, a hope that is actually beyond cure. I didn't expect that I would be cured of cancer. Uh, and in the second year of uh, going through endless, it seemed, treatment, when there was visible cancers at work in my body, God enabled me to write a book um, called Hope Beyond Cure. Um, and there's a copy of it here. And I've put a few on the back table. And we've found over the last four years since this book has been out um, that, that many, many people have come to know the Lord Jesus. Uh, in their crisis, uh, it might be the crisis of cancer or another uh, serious illness, and sometimes it, it's not that. It's, it's just that they're looking into uh, the issues of their own mortality. Uh, I was talking with a guy only the other day who, when he hit 40, um, became completely overwhelmed by the fact that one day he was going to die. Uh, it happened on his 40th birthday. Uh, you might call that a midlife crisis, but we often trivialise a midlife crisis. For him, it led to a deep despair, um, even depression, and it helped him to then have to think through what he believed. And he came out the other side with a, with a strong confidence in the God who raises the dead. Um, the truth is, we don't often think about our mortality, but we don't have to live in despair that one day we're going to die because we have a God of resurrection. Um, so if this book's helpful to you, we're, we're just going to keep a few here at church. And it might be a neighbour or a friend or, or yourself or something that you're going through. Um, you're welcome to use these books. You can contribute. Uh, Ten bucks each is what I'm able to pass them on for. But if you can't afford that, um, please, I'd love you to have it if it's going to be helpful to you. Uh, all right. Well, I, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have a look at this part of 1 Peter. And after the talk this evening, I'm going to take Q&A just for a little bit. So if there are things that come up in the course of looking at this and you think, yeah, I wouldn't mind asking about that, uh, just stick it in the mind or write it down on your bit of paper and then we'll have a few minutes of Q&A. So let's pray. Our loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel, uh, that there is a hope, uh, a hope not just for this life and the things that this life offers, but a hope for all eternity through the Lord Jesus. Please help us to live in the light of this. Help us to understand this reality and let it shape our thinking, our speech and our actions. And now as we look at this uh, letter of 1 Peter, give us insight. Please work in our minds, in our hearts. Uh, by your word we pray. Amen. Well, I want to uh, dip into this issue of vocation. Uh, it's not a word that you use very often these days, but when I was in high school, we had a vocational counsellor. Um, any of you had a vocation counsellor? or um, You might call them a careers advisor. Because you see, the word vocation means calling. And uh, it's something that in Christian circles, you often hear applied to missionaries, being called to be a missionary, uh, or maybe being called to be a minister, or some people say they were called to their job or their career, 
Um, but what we see when we look at the Bible is it actually runs far deeper than any particular uh, specific calling to a particular uh, job or ministry or way of life. The, the nature of vocation or calling language in the Bible goes to the heart of who we are. That is, we have a calling. God is the God who calls and he calls people to himself. And uh, we could do a word study. We, we don't have the time to do that. But if we were to look up every reference to call and called and calling in the New Testament, we would discover that the primary focus of calling is a calling of people who are separated from God to God, to be Christian, to be followers of Jesus. And I want to say to you today, and we're going to see this here in this chapter of 1 Peter, that we have a calling and we see this particularly and most specifically as a calling to Jesus. Now, if you open up your outlines there or keep the Bible open in front of you, I'm just going to point out a few things as we go along. And you'll see there in verse 9, so right down the bottom paragraph, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We'll look at these things in a bit. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, the description that you've got there is of a calling from darkness to light. And it's a picture of what it means to come to Jesus. And we see coming to Jesus as a strong theme in this passage. So go back to the beginning, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone. Who is that? Well, it's Jesus. As you come to the living stone, that is Jesus. And we see this picture here right through these verses of coming to Jesus. There's a picture of Jesus here as the living stone. In fact, in verse 6, notice, as the cornerstone. So he quotes from the Old Testament where God says, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, all this language is metaphor, right? You know the idea of metaphor? Um, it's not saying that Jesus is actually made out of stone. Um, it, it's a living stone. It's an image that's being used. And the shape of the image here in verse 6 is that we come to Jesus who is the cornerstone. Now, in the old days, I, I, I don't know whether it's the same today. It well, could be. But if you were building a house or a building, perhaps even a grand building, maybe even a temple... Uh, out of stones, the, the most important stone to be put into place was the cornerstone. And you put that cornerstone in place and it kind of sets the direction that everything else is to flow from that. So the cornerstone is the key piece in the building and everything is to be aligned with that cornerstone. And so it's a good image to use of Jesus, isn't it? You come to Jesus, he's the living stone, he's the cornerstone. He's the most important part of this building. And we are to be people who align our lives with the cornerstone. In fact, in verse 7, it says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So we've got a picture here of Jesus. He's the living stone. He's the cornerstone. He's precious. And we come to him. That's our calling. 
But you'll notice if you look closely here that there's actually two possible responses to Jesus. That is, you can believe in Jesus, or back in verse 6, you can trust in him, the cornerstone, or, verse 7, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That is, not everybody trusts in Jesus. Or look down at verse 8. There's another quote from the Old Testament. He says, And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So, so when you see this picture of Jesus, and there's a mixing of metaphors here, Jesus is the living stone. He's the rock. The right way to approach Jesus is to see him as the most precious stone, the cornerstone. And you acknowledge that by believing in him, by trusting in him. But you see, Jesus will be the stone whether you trust him or not. And if you don't believe in Jesus as the cornerstone, if you don't trust him, then he becomes effectively a stumbling block for you. Instead of being the one you align your life with, he becomes the one that you trip over, not having noticed. He's the rock that causes you to stumble and to fall. And notice that this image here of stumbling over the rock is in verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So we've got Jesus, the cornerstone. How are we to respond to him? There's, There's two options. Either you believe in him and trust in him and he's precious, you align your life with him, you have life because of him, or you reject him and stumble over him because you don't believe the message. Jesus is that rock. How will we respond? Now, I want to get us to think about this and not gloss over it because this is our calling. This is our vocation. We've been called to belong to Jesus. And I don't know you all personally. I'm getting to know you better as time goes on and I hope to get to know you much better, indeed deeply, God willing, over the years. Do you you know the Lord Jesus? Have you come to him? Have you believed in him? Do you trust in Jesus or are you stumbling around somewhat? Are you in danger of just tripping over him? It's a good thing to work out, friends. And for those of you who would say that that you have come to believe in Jesus, it, it raises the question for us, just to do a little bit of a stock take, how important is Jesus to us, to our identity? If we were to think about our calling, our vocation... Is it Jesus that would come to mind? It's interesting to to ponder that. How significant is Jesus in our self-identity? And and how significant do other people think that Jesus is to our self-identity? Here's another way of putting it. Would it make a, a bigger difference to how people see you to stop your your work or to stop focusing on Jesus? Now, it would be a big change, wouldn't it, to stop your work, particularly if people know you, say, as a, as a teacher or a builder or, or as a mum or, or a grandfather or whatever. If people know us in relation to what we do, and that's an important part of who we are, do they know us in relation to Jesus? When, when people look at us and meet us and talk with us, is it Jesus that they see in us? Big thing. Well, we're not just called to Jesus. We are called to Jesus, but we're not just called to Jesus. And when I was little, the language of becoming Christian was 
Invite Jesus into your heart. Now, that's not bad language. I don't think it's actually biblical language. It's not bad language. But it's very private, isn't it? Very personal. And we would talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And I think it has its place because we do have a personal relationship with Jesus if we're Christian. But we don't have a personal in contrast to relationship with others, relationship with Jesus. So let me put it this way. We don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. If we're Christian, we have a social relationship with Jesus. And you see here in the passage, look back at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, plural, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. See, the language here is of coming to the stone as little stones, little stones that don't function on their own. They're actually built together to create a building where Jesus is the cornerstone. And so not only should we be thinking about our vocation, our calling, uh, and who we are as people in relationship to Jesus, but in relationship to others who are in relationship with Jesus. So when we're living stones, we're being built together into the church that Jesus is building, into the gathering of people who belong to Jesus. So it's not simply personal. It's actually corporate. It's social. There's relationships that are horizontal as well as vertical. And you see that language down in verse 9. Marty read this out um, before and then we heard it again. And Let me read it now. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. It's plural language. Now, you could say, of course, it's plural language. He's talking to a church. But it's very colourful. It's very expressive. And if we know our Bibles, we've heard it before. You know where this language comes from? Any of you? Where? Well, I think you do hear some of this in Isaiah, but it goes back even further. Any other bits? Psalms? Well, I think we can go back even further. Exodus, yes. Chapter? Nah, who, who knows? You're right, it's Exodus. It's, it's chapter 19. Now, the, the significant thing about Exodus is this, right? God's people were slaves in Egypt. And through Moses... Um, God brings 10 plagues to the nation of Egypt. He protects his people during the Passover where the angel of death passes over every household that had the blood of the lamb painted on the doorpost. All the Israelite people were then set free. They were taken to the Red Sea. Pharaoh reneged, changed his mind, sent the cavalry after them. God parted the Red Sea. The people went through on dry land. And then the cavalry went through and got drowned. And God's people come out the other side and they're gathered at a mountain, Mount Sinai. And in Exodus chapter 19, God says this to the people he's just saved. You are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You see, God was gathering his people, saving them to be his special people in all the earth. Now, that was 
around about 1,500 years before. And that was pointing towards a fulfilment that wasn't to do with national Israel, but with people coming to the living stone to Jesus. And as people come to Jesus, as we gather together with Jesus, he uses this treasure language to say, I've set you apart together to belong to Jesus and to play a special role. And you see this role, don't you, in these wonderful verses. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, the, the, the picture here is of God gathering his people. As he gathered Israel to be a light to the nations, so God's gathering his people now to be a light to the nations. Christian people are on a mission from God. And what is that mission? What is that calling? Well, look closely at verse 9. And I'll read these words yet again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And you might, if we pause at that point, be thinking, yeah, okay, why? Or what? Or how? Or when? Or where? What, what does this mean? And so he tells us. Notice the purpose in the second half of the verse. God's special possession that you may. There's a purpose in that statement, isn't there? I've, I've called you to be mine. You're my special possession. You're my holy nation. You're my royal priesthood. You're my chosen people. That you may do something. So if we're wanting to know our vocation, if we're wanting to know what God's calling us to do and to be, here it is. That you may. What? Well, here it is, friends. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is our vocation. We've been called to praise. We have been called to praise God. Now, I don't think this just means singing, though I do think it includes singing. See, when we praise somebody, what does it mean to praise someone? Well, I take it it means to say how good that person is or how great that person has become or what wonderful things that person has done. And we're familiar with that, I think. I mean, Marty said we had a great breakfast this morning. We really did. Marty and Ness put on a spectacular breakfast. We even had these little shot glasses that had fruit and yogurt and birdseed in them uh, with little spoons and we're, we're, we were able to eat them out and, and because they prepared so much... Some of us were able to have seconds. And if that wasn't um, your cup of tea, they cooked bacon and two different types of sausages and eggs. And if you're not into that kind of cooked breakfast, we had fresh fruit. We had beautiful, fresh pineapple. And I tell you what, Marty and Ness spared no effort. They made us welcome they fed us well. We had a great time. Now, what have I just done? I've praised Marty and Ness, haven't I? Now, I'll tell you what I didn't do. 
Oh, Marty and Ness put on a great breakfast. They invited us all to eat with them. I've never sung in church like that before. See, you don't have to sing to praise. In fact, sometimes it's better not to, right? Especially if it's me. I, I, I might try this, you know. Maybe we should have sung sermons from now on. No, no, we praise people by telling of what they have done. Let, let, me, let me point to some people that we've been praising recently. Uh, you might remember these people. You might know how they were praised. Dr. Richard Harris and Dr. Craig Challen. You know who I'm talking about? How, how were they praised? They were given an OAM, an Order of Australia medal. They, they were made Australians of the Year. And if you watched the, uh, the proceedings where people were recognised, what took place? Their deeds were told. Their spectacular deeds. And, and really, watching the praise of these two men raised the hairs on the back of my neck because there was a broadcast from Thailand where 12 young boys thanked these men for saving their life. It was very moving. And then people celebrated and and they praised these two men who had risked their lives to dive through these chambers, complicated saving exercise, to bring each of these young boys safely out of the cavern. And I'm sure these boys went from there telling the praises of the ones who saved them, don't you think? Do you think they could stop talking about it at school? Do you think it wasn't the topic on their lips when they were with their friends and with their families? Do you think that even as they grow up, they're not going to be sharing the incredible story that took place when they were part of this soccer team many years before. See, they praised the the marvellous acts of the one who saved them. See, what do we do when we praise God? We tell of the one who called us out of darkness into light. And we've been called to do that. Friends, that's that's part of our DNA now. That's, That's who God is calling us to be, to declare the praises of the one who saved us. And we've been saved from something far greater than a dark cavern full of water. We have been saved from the darkness that is separation from God that leads to hell. What a wonderful thing it is. What a wonderful saviour we've got. Our vocation, friends, is that we are called to declare his praises. We have great reason to do that. If you know the salvation that comes through knowing Jesus Christ, do you love to tell people about that? Some years back, I I remember watching the praises uh, of a particularly significant man in Australia. Uh, And he was praised far more after he was tragically murdered. I'm talking about Victor Chan. You know who Victor Chan was? He was a pioneer of heart transplant surgery. And I remember one of the people who had been given a new heart by Victor Chan, her name was Fiona Coots, um, talking after his death about how she owed her life to this man. That's praise, friends. We owe our life 
to God. If, we've, if we know the rescue that God brings through Jesus, then don't we want to share that with people? Don't we want to tell of, of the wonderful rescue, the forgiveness, the new life, the, the, the new beginning into a new family belonging to God that we have? At times we get distracted, I know. At times it all seems like, like something that's remote and, and part of the past. But let's be reminded of the wonder of this news that we might share it with other people. See, that's our vocation. We've been called to declare the praises of God. That's what God has chosen us to do. It's not the only thing he's chosen us to do, but it is what he's chosen us to do. It's our reason for living. Now, I want to ask you a series of questions. I'm not going to get you to call out answers, but I want you to think about this and involve yourself in these questions, all right? I want to ask you, why do you live in Bonnie Hills, in Lake Catai, in, in um, Port Macquarie, in the Camden Haven? Have I missed anybody out? Why do you live there? Or where you do live, if I have missed Taree, Newcastle, wherever, right? Why do you live there? And you might think, well, that's because that's where I've got a job or that's where my family is. Um, or I just like living there, I've retired there. And they're right, that's the truth, that's why you're there. But it's not only why you're there. There's actually a deeper reason why you're there. It is that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let me ask you another question. Why do you surf? Some of you don't, but for those of you who do, okay, this is your question, why do you surf? Because I love it. I love the freedom. I enjoy being out there. It's fresh. Uh, it's physically engaging. It's, it's great company because there are great waves because I've got a great board because I'm a really good surfer. I mean, there might be all kinds of reasons why you surf, but that's not the heart of the reason. See, God has called you to something greater. You surf that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, let me ask you this. Why do you have the job that you have? Whether that's at home or whether that's at the workplace. Or why do you engage in the sports that you do? Or why do you go to the school that you go to? And you might think, well, because, hey, you've got to have a job. You need to get some money. And... It's good to engage in activities that are fun and exciting and, and I go to the school because mum and dad forced me to go or whatever it might be. But I want to say there's a deeper reason. And that is we are in these places, we are engaged in this activity that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And you, and you might say to me, well, hang on, Dave. Now, if I do that all the time, I'm going to lose my job. And that's right, isn't it? I mean... I'm not saying you go into that place, you, you, you bundy in, you hang up your hat, and then you say, everyone, just stop, got something to say? Jesus, let me tell you about Jesus. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if we only think on the horizontal plane, right? if we only think about the day-to-day, about what we sense, about what we experience, if we're only thinking about those human reasons for our work, for our play, for our activity, for our relationships, for whatever it is, then what place does declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light have? 
You see, if this is really what life's about, and friends, if you have had that happen to you, if you've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light, then you've had something better happen than a cure for cancer. And I can tell you this, if I knew a cure to cancer, I would be spruiking it everywhere. And yet I know something better. I know how to live forever with God. And at times I shut up. Friends, let us remember that God has a bigger, deeper and wider calling. But let's ask him to help us to declare what a wonderful God he is. What a wonderful saviour he is. See, why do you have neighbours? That's a funny one, isn't it? Have you ever thought about an answer to that question, why you have neighbours? Some of you might wish you didn't, or that they were different. But here's a thought. Maybe you have neighbours that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wouldn't it be great if those neighbours knew that wonder, that truth? Why are you assault? Why are you married? Why do you have children? Why do you have grandchildren? See, here's a thought. Maybe you have children and grandchildren that you might declare the praises of Jesus. What a wonderful gift you would give them to share the good news of salvation. Why do you take holidays? Why do you go places? So you can see, get around, relax, enjoy. Friends, maybe you are the way that somebody hears about our saving God. Let me finish with one more question. Why are you on earth? Well, you're not always going to be on earth. But God is giving us time that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Friends, I hope that as we reflect on the wonder of our salvation from God, that we will see a deep reason for living. How about we pray and then I'm happy to take some questions. Our loving Father, we ask that you will help us to grapple with your word that you'll help us to think about our circumstances, our homes, our neighbourhoods, our, our clubs, our activities, our workplaces, our schools, our universities, our families and friends, the people here at Salt. We pray that you might help us to take on board our calling and to remind one another and to reach out to those around us so that they can hear the great news about the one, about Jesus, to whom we've been called. Amen. Well, we don't do this every week, and I I think it might be a bad thing for us to do, because uh, it's good to push each other to think a little bit more, perhaps, by application. Uh, It's good to uh, grapple with questions and issues that the Scriptures throw up, so if there are any things that you'd like to um, ask about, any questions or comments that you'd like to make, we'll just uh, have a few minutes before we finish up uh, for you to do that.
Any question's a good question too, by the way. Don't, don't fear that, hey, I don't want to ask the dumb question. Spare um, a thought for me, it might be the dumb answer. Yeah? Do you sometimes feel like God is so amazing and I'm so flawed that there are times when I cut in front of someone with my shopping trolley and I just treated them with so much respect and I'm supposed to be giving glory to God but I just didn't realise that. And I really want to give glory to God but I'm just not there. And is that something that we rest with day, day to day? We do rest, we wrestle with that day to day. Um, you've told a great truth. We are not perfect. Uh, and, but we do have a perfect father. And our perfect father offers us forgiveness. And when we take that shopping trolley and we ram it into the ankles of the person in front of us, uh, when we cut them off, or whatever it is that we do that we know that we shouldn't have done, we have a wonderful father who has given us his son to pay the price for that sin so we can come before him confessing our sin and he's faithful and just and will forgive us it says in 1 John Um, what a wonderful forgiving father we have that we can always come back to him yeah and we should be praying that next shopping trip will be a little different Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know it will cause conflict. You know them deeply. Yeah. Look, there's actually a wonderful little passage in this book of 1 Peter, um, and I'm, I'm going to read it out. We'll get to it in a few weeks.